Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. When we think about artificial intelligence or AI, what comes to mind for many folks are robots or even IBM's Watson, which went head to head with some of Jeopardy's greatest contestants on television, among other things. But what may not come to mind is how this branch of science and technology is being used to study weather and climate and how these affect the global population. Our guest today is Neil Sahota, an IBM master inventor and United Nations artificial intelligence subject matter expert. And we're going to talk about AI and how it is being used to help the planet. Neil, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Hey, excited to be here, Marshall. Thanks oh, for having me. This is super awesome because I, I wrote something several years ago in Forbes. I'm a contributor to that magazine. And I asked weather experts, what's the next big thing in weather and climate? And several of them said artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so this is a topic we've wanted to explore for some time. But before we go down that road, there's a standard question I ask every guest. Are you a weather geek? And if so, how'd you become one? Uh, am I a weather geek? I definitely pay attention to the weather a lot. Um, probably because probably because I started because my career as a management consultant, so I was traveling around the world. So I had to make sure that I had the right clothes and umbrellas and hats and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, how did you become an AI geek then? Have you always been interested in technology and computers and algorithms and coding or how'd that come about? Uh, I, I studied computer science uh, in college. You know, I, I always realized that technology is a tool. So it's more important to understand how you can apply things than just to build things. Yeah. So, so that's, that's so yeah. so it kind of came about and then so for a lot of weather folks, it comes about sometime during elementary school or middle school, but it sounds like for you it was a bit later once you got into college. It, it, it was. I'm a bit of a late bloomer. <laughs> yeah, we have some late bloomers out there for sure. I mean, there's nothing uh, nor, uh, not normal about that. I was having a conversation with my daughter. I'm that weird person that knew in sixth grade I wanted to be a meteorologist, but I was trying to convey to my kids and my daughter in high school, that's the anomaly. That's weird, actually. Uh, most people don't necessarily know when they go off into college, so don't don't stress out about that. Let me give a little background so that people know just how much of an expert you are. Uh, Neil has a, a Bachelor of Science degree and a Bachelor's degree of Mathematics and a BA in Political Science and an MBA in Business Administration, all from Cal Irvine. Uh -huh. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Chief Innovation Officer at the University of Cal Irvine School of Law. Uh, a lecture in the uh, Cal Irvine School of Business, I guess, uh, still present doing that. You've co-chaired a UN committee on how artificial intelligence can drive environmental efficiency. And you work for the United Nations on the AI for Good Global Summit initiative, which uses AI to solve 116 global issues like poverty, homelessness, and more. Uh, you're also a futurist and a leading expert on AI and other next generation technologies. And if that's not enough, when you're not going, woo, uh, needing a little uh, Gatorade or, or Powerade there uh, to sort of out there listening to those credentials. He's the author of Own the AI Revolution, which is published by McGraw-Hill. So clearly we're talking with someone that knows his stuff. So with that, let's launch right in. First, let's start with the basics. What is artificial intelligence? 
That's a great question. It's essentially a machine that thinks like a human being. So it takes what it knows, its experiences, and processes it. So it's not like a search engine like Google, where you ask it a question and it looks up an answer. It actually has the ability to answer questions or figure out something we don't know the answer to. And, you know, one of the things that I often hear people say when we talk about artificial intelligence or AI, they also throw in the term machine learning. Is it the same thing or is that are they complementary to each other but different? That's a great question, Marshall. Machine learning is one component of AI. And so if you wonder how the machine can think, that's the machine learning aspect. We don't we don't give it like the answers we, we don't give it like paths or scenarios. We just give AI a bunch of data. We give it something we call ground truth, which is rules on how to make decisions and let the machine actually figure it out. I, I have a graduate student at the University of Georgia, right? And I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, right? And I, I have a student working with me right now using machine learning uh, techniques to look at lightning data. And we're trying to discern patterns of lightning around cities. And so he's really starting to explore that. So I can attest to the value of these techniques in our research and perhaps in future applications. But I know, I know that there are some misconceptions out there about AI, the machines are going to take over the planet and things like that. So what are some of the biggest misperceptions you hear? Well, one is the Terminator future. <laughs> that they are <laughs> going to rise up and eradicate humanity. I can assure everyone that machines don't think for themselves. They don't do things for themselves. They're passive systems. Probably not going to happen. We're very, very far away from being able to do anything like that. Second, People are always freaked out that the machines are going to take their jobs. Again, that's not really the goal here. And I think it's really about freeing us up for more complex value-added work. And I understand that. But is there, I mean, I think people, some people kind of get that. I think some people are fearful. Um, they see the movies where these rogue computers sort of take over their own code and start, you know, proliferating their own code and controlling the world. I mean, I mean, is that just fundamentally Hollywood? It, it, it is, right? What is it? The old expression, bad news is good news, right? right. There's, not, there's not a whole lot of balance out there. That's the, that's the challenge. It's like, it's like farming, right? In 1900, 80% of people were farmers, and today it's 2%, right? It's just that we've given farmers a lot more tools to be more productive as farmers, which means that other people now can free up and do other things like advanced medicine. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are lots of technologies out there in the environmental sciences, weather and meteorology and so forth. W what are some of the advantages of artificial intelligence for some of the types of things that you've been working in? I mean, why, why AI? Well, it's, I think, a whole different model of computing that's unlocking new capabilities for us as people. Right. Like just you think about agriculture, one of the oldest professions. We always worry about can we grow, grow enough food for the world? And the truth is, we actually have the ability to do that. And, you know, we've actually worked with farmers like in Ghana and Bangladesh, where they, they don't have a whole lot of water or great topsoil. But using AI to kind of analyze some of these things, but also using AI to analyze the climate information. Right, and kind of forecast out during the whole season. We've seen things where the machine comes back and says, you should really plant this type of crop, but plant the seeds two milliliters to the right. 
and we see an improvement of the crop yield by like 40%, using one third less water, using like 10% less topsoil. And it's like, whoa, it's amazing. And how, how did it know that? Well, all these things, plus it's like you just accumulation of rice, like, well, you're going to get more sun exposure over here and all these other things. And it's like, it's so many variables for us to consider that we're not good at that, but for a machine, crunching millions of variables, piece of cake. Yeah, that's a great point. And as, as a novice vegetable gardener myself, who was out in my garden earlier this morning, <laughs> checking on things like soil moisture level and, and uh, exposure to the sun and pH levels and uh, phosphorus levels and so forth. I mean, I, I, you know, gardeners sort of anecdotally keep up with these things, but the machine can do it with such precision uh, that it really sort of makes things worth uh, the effort in terms of improving efficiency. We're talking with Neil Sahota, talking about artificial intelligence and weather and earth sciences. Now, tell us a little bit about some of your forays into this world of artificial intelligence as it relates to weather and earth-related sciences. Well, one of, one of the big things is, you know, I live in Southern California, and so we're always worried about, you know, wildfires. And, you know, so you know, people always like, Neil, why don't you think about doing something to help? And so, you know, trying to learn a little bit more about it to see where we could maybe use technology. I was a little surprised to learn that, you know, for centuries, we try to find wildfires by having guys with binoculars out there. <laughs> looking for signs of fire and smoke. I'm like, okay, I, I get that, right? That's that's old school, but we've got technology. And so when you're talking to people about what we could do, they're like, well, could we have AI essentially be the person in the field looking for fires and smoke? And I'm like, well, yeah, you can, but what about trying to prevent fires before they start? And they're like, wait a second, how can you do that? And it's like, well, you can look at, you know, the, the humidity levels, obviously you can look at weather patterns, but you can, you also got to predict things like lightning strikes or other things like that to find the hotspots, right? And if we know where the hotspots are, there are things we can actually do to mitigate the risk of a wildfire. So it doesn't happen in the first place. And people are just <laughs> mind blown, right? And I know for people that don't live in like maybe wildfire areas thinking like, well, that sounds good, but is it really that big of a problem? Well, in the United States, we spend about $12 billion a year fighting wildfires. So if we can cut that number by even half, that's a big savings. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with Neil Sahota who is an AI expert uh, out at Cal Irvine and doing a lot of things with IBM. He's um, even one of, uh, sort of IBM's master inventors. I got to find out what that means here in a moment. Don't let me get out of here without finding out what that means. But I want to stay where you are, because I think one of the things you said about wildfires is very important. Often in weather and climate, we're very reactive. 
we start throwing money at problems after we have a Hurricane Sandy or, uh, or a record wildfire or flood, as opposed to being uh, proactive. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with the artificial intelligence as it relates to fires. What other areas are have you worked in or foresee working in as it relates to weather? See, a lot of things around the, the natural disasters like floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. It's funny you should mention Hurricane Sandy. I don't know how many people remember, but you know you had parts of the East Coast that were without water and power for three, four weeks, and everyone's like, "How on earth could this have happened?" Right? And it's just like, well, they did a lot of planning. They actually did. They, the thing is, you can't think of every scenario. And while they had extra people standing by and equipment ready, no one stopped to ask the question, like, where are these? power sources, where are the, the transistors and all these things? And they're in these really remote areas, right? Away from people and the way to get there was these dirt roads. And so as a result, they got flooded out. There was no way to even access these areas to get them repaired. And so it's like, think about it. It's like, when you have all these people together you need like everyone from every perspective to try and figure some of these things out and say, well, you know, with a hurricane it's gonna cause massive rainfall and the floods. This is, again, where AI can actually help us out, help ask these questions, help recognize some of these things that we didn't think about, and then figure out better ways to actually get things out there. And so, like, you, you think about people getting hurt. We're starting to use AI now to figure out, well, if this hurricane level three or level five, whatever it might be, might hit this area, where what areas would get flooded out and where would people seek refuge? And where they're going to go seek refuge, let's already have the food, water, and medicine at those locations, because that's where they're going to be needed. And I read something in my production notes from our excellent production staff about behavioral science and psychology being used in connection with AI. Um, how does that work? I mean, I mean, perhaps it's some of what you just said and trying to understand the psychology and tendencies of people to understand their movements and decisions and so forth. Is that utilized in that regard? It is. It's a field we call psychographics. Psychographics? Psychographics. It's a nice. real that thing. Like a band. 75 years of research in psychology. So it's based <laughs> on real science. Wow. But machines are so good now that they can pluck out data, even from just the words that we cho choose to learn, like our personality, our interests, our hobbies, all these things. And so you think about something that's massive devastation a wildfire, a flood, earthquake, right? We can actually try to predict where groups of people, so not like the whole city, but we, we can actually narrow it down to neighborhoods where they actually might migrate to or what, what they, what, how they might actually react. Like some people are going to go to the shelter and some people are going to head to the roof of their house, right? And so by knowing that, we also then know where to allocate the emergency resources to go rescue people. Right. So you can it's not just about pro, uh, proactive uh, management as it relates to the disaster, but it has a search and disaster search and rescue component as well. A question I had, I, I was I'm, I'm actually on a, a new board at the National Academies and they're having a workshop later in the year, I believe, or this summer on AI. And in one of our meetings, the question came up from uh, someone like me who's you know intelligent enough to understand AI, but doesn't work as an expert in the field. Uh, yes. Are these things actually being implemented in agencies and in emergency response and in weather agencies like the National Weather Service? Or are they still just academic constructs at this point? 
there, there's actually some level of solutions being created or have been created. So like Napa and Sonoma, California have been slammed by wildfires, like really tragic wildfires the last few years. Then I know Sonoma has actually pumped in a bunch of money to develop some of these AI solutions. And I know through my work in the United Nations, we were actually building some of these things. It's not theoretical anymore. Like one of the big focuses with the UN, especially Secretary Antonio Gutierrez is climate change. And so it's actually, can we use technology like this to find solutions on climate change? That's actually what my committee does. So we're actively not just like, here's a nice research project. We're like, here's something where if we build this, this is the impact we're gonna see to the climate, right? Reduced emissions, less water usage, all these other things. So we've only got one planet and we've got a limited amount of time to do something about it. So very solution focused right now. Yeah, this is um, um, talking with one of the world's top experts on artificial intelligence, weather and earth sciences, Neil Sahota, Cal Irvine. I don't know why, but as we're talking and doing this podcast right now, the, sh- the song Blame the Machines by Duran Duran <laughs> keeps coming. I don't know how many of you all are Duran Duran fans like I am, but I'm a big Duran Duran fan and they have a song called Blame the Machines. It's actually not about artificial intelligence. I actually think the song is about BMWs, if you listen to uh, the ultimate driving, if you listen to the words of the lyricist Simon LeBond, but uh, that just keeps coming into my mind for some reason as we're talking about artificial intelligence. Going to play, drop some terminology at you here in this part of the podcast, Neil, and you tell us what it means. The first one is um, micro actions. What's what are those? Micro actions are some small thing each of us can actually do and actually are willing to do, whether that's, you know, taking a five minute shower, adopting a house plant. But the goal is, you know, it doesn't seem like we're doing much, right? It's a small thing, but in the aggregate, it moves the needle on some of the climate change issues. So you might say, well, hey, if I adopt a house plant, what does that really do? But you're one of 10 million people that just decide to do that. And so we want people to find these one things they're willing to do and share that, let people know that you've done it. The One Million Trees Initiative. One Million Trees is a fascinating project. So this is real, but they're using AI and drone technology. And so these drones carry these tree seeds with this like hypernutrient bath. And the AI, when the drone slider will find locations and they can shoot the seeds. And if I remember correctly, they can plant um, 100 trees per minute. Wow. Technology. And so this is a way to try and start reforestation of the planet. And we're taking it to actually a bigger step now where improving the AI technology, we're even looking at cities. And so we're looking for areas in the city where we can't plant 100 trees like that. But can we find a place where we could plant the tree and the AI analyzes how much shade would this create on the concrete? Wow. Concrete absorbs so much heat. I would love, oh, I I do work in urban climate, especially urban heat islands. So I'm very fascinated by this. Probably need to have a conversation with you offline because we actually are working on a significant project right now to try to engineer cities for uh, thermal, thermal justice and sort of spread out some of that heat across cities. And so, you know, we've talked about various mitigation strategies and so forth, but we certainly haven't gotten in the AI world. And who's doing this uh, trees initiative, by the way? So there's a, there's a group called actually One Trillion Trees that's actually focused on making this happen. And the, the technology is actually 
not you. They started experimenting with this about three years ago and we were really surprised. And so the goal now is to raise money. So we essentially have like 10,000 drones out there actually doing this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Wow, and we're back on the Weather Geeks podcast. And this is this is a major geek out. I am going to go ahead and claim that. I mean, all of our shows are geek outs, but this is a significant, this is very high on our weather geek out factor. So I want to thank Neil Sahota for joining us on Weather Geeks. This is just awesome. And this is, again, what I, I just believe this, this show is all about. Has AI really found its way into the COVID fight? Uh, it, it has, uh, but probably not in the way most people think. So there's, we've been using AI to help kind of deconstruct the virus and anticipate mutations, but we've actually been able to use sound data so we can actually hear the COVID virus using AI. Hear, H-E-A-R. Hear it, yeah. Okay, I, you've got, we've got to dig deeper <laughs> on that. What do you mean hear the virus? What are you talking about, <laughs> Neil? You know, everything makes sounds, especially like vibrations, and it's no different for viruses. And so while we as humans can't really detect that, AI hears so well, they can detect those minute vibrations. So we've actually been able to teach AI to listen for COVID. Wow. I, I mean, I'm stunned, uh, Weather Geeks listeners. If you may be sitting there with your mouth <laughs> wide open like me, because I don't know that I, that's just way off what I expected him to say. But I mean, I, I think, though, to your point, I think artificial intelligence is going to enable just some things that we probably can't even foresee right now. Would you, would you agree with that? A hundred percent, Marshall. And that that's the thing. That's actually the thing where we struggle is because we, we have such new capabilities we're used to computers being about automation that we don't really know how to fully unlock these new opportunities. You know, the things like listening to COVID or, you know, Ocean Health Alliance has created something called Snotbot, where AI is putting a juggle, jigsaw puzzle piece for Ocean Health. It's the people that are really leveraging the technology well, like really being innovative, are the ones that are thinking way differently. They're looking at like, wait a second, forget what I know or how we've done things. What's the tool set that AI gives me? What are those capabilities and how can I then apply them, right? Because machines, they do think differently than we do. And that's actually an advantage. That's a, that's a perspective changer that we should tap into. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I know you've worked with this AI for Global, Good Global Summit initiative that the UN has been doing. Tell us about what your role has been there and how does weather and climate factor into some of those issues like poverty and so forth as the UN is concerned about? So it... It actually started from a keynote I gave like six years ago in front of the General Assembly. Um, I was warned they thought I was Terminator time. So I gave a little <laughs> bit more uplifting talk. But I, I talked about how AI is already being used for public services and how it can be used towards the sustainable development goals. And it wound up being very well received. And that night I was approached by the Secretary General. And he was like, you know, we never thought about using the technology. There's a lot of momentum. Let's figure something out. And from that, we created AI for good, which is using 
AI for the SDGs. And because one of the core focuses about climate change, we don't realize how that impacts all these things across the board, but we're creating tool sets. Like you think about something like poverty and you think like, okay, people, they don't have money, they can't eat, but how does climate change affect that? Well, if they're poor, where, where do they live, right? They tend to live in maybe rural areas that not the healthiest air conditions or air, yeah, air conditions, or they are forced migrations because of heat or extreme cold. And so there's a lot of things we can do to try and help. And one of the things we actually learned is if you wanna help people in poverty, you actually have to help them take care of their basic needs, food, water, shelter, and then healthcare. They can't even look for a job unless they feel like they're stable enough with their health. And so we've really been able to unlock a lot of good by kind of deconstructing some of these things with help from AI. And and I hope this podcast for some listeners may be helping to sort of alleviate some concern or hesitancies that people have had about AI and machine learning and so forth. Uh, I want to circle back now to something I said I wanted to find out more about. What is this IBM Master Inventor designation that you have? Well, there's usually not more than 300 at a time, but it's a designation for people that have created a lot of important, like game-changing intellectual capital property, whatever you want to call it. And so a lot of my work in AI, a lot of my stuff that's actually in, in IBM Watson, well, this kind of unlocked the AI wave we're currently in. And so for that, they, I got the designation, great honor. Of course, you're also expected to help other people create you know, the next generation of IP and you know, shepherd them along in that journey. And so it's actually been a lot of fun to be able to do that and help people be the next set of game changers. Neil, I mean, I know we have some young listeners, high school, college listeners, because they they tweet me all the time. And some of them may be fascinated by this. And like, how do I get into that? What do I study in school? What, what would you advise for someone out there that recognizes AI and machine learning is kind of going to be here and a significant player in the next generation? Well, what should they be focusing on in school right now? I think it depends on whether you want to be a builder or a solutionist. If you want to be a builder, the person that's really developing the technology, no secret, a lot of STEM stuff, engineering, computer science, robotics, that kind of things. If you want to be a solutionist, like a person that's going to use the technology, you have to really become a domain expert because while there's a lot of smart technologists, they're not going to understand the problems of a meteorologist or a doctor or an accountant. So to really understand, you have to understand your domain, the problems, and be a great thinker. So I would say study more philosophy because a lot of this is actually thought exercises and scenario planning, as well as study a little art. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that's the big kind of separator and what's gonna make you know, the, the you know, AI add a lot of value is the experience that's wrapped around it, the way we actually interact and interface with it. So philosophy and the arts are gonna be critical. And that's really interesting because you hear a lot of talk about moving from STEM to STEAM yep. and adding that arts in there. And so I think you just kind of affirmed that. By the way, I, thinking back to my college days, I'm going to just admit it. I hated my philosophy class at Florida <laughs> State University. I just did. I'm just going to put it right out there. Um, but uh, certainly recognize its value now later in my life. It was a class I took freshman year at Florida State. So you just sparked a memory there. <laughs> so you mentioned the philosophy class. Uh, Neil, this has been a fascinating discussion. Where can people find 
find you on social media or the internet if they want to follow you? Well, I you have my website, which is just my name, neilsahoda.com. I'm always you know, publishing articles, other things, videos. So they're all going on there. Very active on LinkedIn as well as Twitter and Instagram. So what's your, what's your Twitter? It's my name at Neil underscore Sahoda. And okay. it's the same thing for Instagram. So feel free to, to follow me and reach out, message me if you have any questions. Would love to hear from people. Absolutely. Now, before we get out of here, I've got to do one last thing. It's time for our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weedy at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Jordan Darrowsberg. Jordan is a meteorologist at KCEN in Central Texas, and that's a great spot for him since his favorite weather is mostly sunny with highs near 90 degrees. Like a lot of folks, Jordan's been interested in weather since he was a kid and says it has always fascinated him. His most memorable weather event was the tornado super outbreak of April 27, 2011. Now, if you know someone that should be our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Hey, my pleasure, Marshall. This was a blast. Oh, this was, sir, again, I'm going to say it before we get out of here. High on the geek out scale. I love it. <laughs> and Weather Geeks listeners, I hope you enjoyed this as well. And thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next time. 